One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hi and welcome. I am your host Emigan Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered. And at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. Amelia Freer is my guest on this episode of the podcast, and it's such a treat to have her on the show and pick her brains about everything to do with feeding yourself well and looking after your health via the food on your plate. And I've been a big fan of Amelia since I read her book, Eat Nourish Glow, a few years ago. And I've since bought subsequent books. And I really began to make connections between the food on my plate and how I felt. It encouraged me to put together ingredients with confidence and experiment with flavors and textures that I'd never really tried before. There is something about Amelia's approach to food and nutrition that's really, really accessible, really friendly and really knowledgeable. Now, I don't know about you, but food, feeding oneself, well, it should be a skill we learn when we learn how to tie our shoelaces or brush our teeth. It makes sense, don't you think, that a fundamental skill should be putting together a plate of food that supports our health and gives us the energy that we need for the day ahead of us. And yet, it's an area where there is so much confusion, not least because there is such a huge amount of discordant information out there that you can think you're doing the right thing only to pick up a magazine or click on an article online and read research or hear or read someone saying that you're doing it completely wrong. And what does that do? It just makes you think, oh, well, what do I do? It can just, analysis equals paralysis. And what I've always really enjoyed about Amelia's approach to nutrition is that, well, first of all, she's highly qualified, so her advice is legitimate. And her approach comes from a place of science, of fact, of research. And that means there's no nonsense, no fluff, no marketing spiel, no fad, just all fact. And if you do find food and nutrition complex, then I don't think there's anyone calmer and more reasonable to tether yourself to you for advice than the media, genuinely. And, and when you think about it, so much of the language around the food that we eat 
can be about the things that we shouldn't be doing or the things that we can't do. We're so embedded in diet culture, restriction, the idea of naughty foods, that we're, we're focused so, so much on the things we shouldn't be doing, on the mistakes we could be making or are making. And that makes it really easy to lose sight of the joy that we can feel from our food, of how wonderful it can make us feel, how wonderful it can be to enjoy the process of making a beautiful, healthy, nutritious meal. And finding joy in food doesn't mean excess, gaining weight or think, you know, to hell with it, I'll have the carbs. It's not about that. It's not about eating badly, which I think is something that we're weirdly led to believe. Amelia focuses on the joy, on how a beautifully created meal can make you feel great, energized and positive. And this is where I believe there's magic in Amelia's approach. Amelia also empowers with her recipes and the information she shares. And I remember her research into snacking, which I read in that book, Eat Nourish Glow, a few years ago. And it completely changed how I felt about eating between meals. It just completely made you go, huh. Yeah, that's actually completely true. I shan't spoil it. Read the book because it really is a brilliant read. So in this conversation, I wanted to talk to Amelia about her sensible approach, about where she gets her information from, why she believes it and why she's so passionate about empowering people with her advice, why we shouldn't be scared of food, why there is no real scary food, the woeful turn caused by the wellness industry and fashion nutrition, which is something I coined, but the, you know what I mean by fashion nutrition, the idea of a, a sort of a fad attached to food in the way that you'd attach a fad to an item of clothing. Why we should really connect with ourselves and how our food makes us feel because it's the disconnection that, be the, that can be the issue and how that can be the starting point for making real strides with your health and much more. We also discuss her new online course, which I've taken since we had this call where we recorded the episode. And as you would expect from Amelia, it's so joyful. It's packed full of really useful information and it's really empowering and fun. I feel as though I'd just been on a really wonderful retreat where I got to spend all this time with Amelia in these bite-sized videos. And I learned to really get the most out of my food, be really savvy in my kitchen and all in just really easy to digest and a pun intended um these these short videos are around 10 minutes each and honestly there are 30 and again sorry for the food gag but they are so easy to binge watch because you just think oh I really want to watch the next one I really want to watch the next one so I really encourage you to take a look at that and actually Amelia has very kindly given listeners to the Emma Gunn show a discount code for the course so if you go to the show notes which are available wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode you'll be able to find all the details of the course and the links to that course so that you can go and have a look at it it really really is a joy to be a part of and as you'll hear from this episode Amelia just has a lovely way of speaking about food she has a lovely way of, I mean if you don't fall in love with her voice I could listen to her for absolutely hours so I really hope that you enjoy not only her voice but also her incredible knowledge her incredible skill and all those links will be in the show notes but here she is making her return thankfully she came and did feel good habits a few months ago but back on the show it's Amelia Freer on the Emma Gunn show Amelia Freer, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm really well, thanks, Emma. How are you? I'm so good and so good for seeing you because it's always such a pleasure to speak to you. You actually came on the show earlier on this year to share your feel-good habits. Yeah. And then we thought, well, we'll wait for the big show until we can be together. And unfortunately... COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so we thought, heck with it, let's just do this via Zoom because it's always nice to connect. 
So you are a nutritional therapist and you are a best-selling author of numerous really brilliant books uh, about food and nutrition. And I was really trying to think about what it is about your approach that I like so much because regular listeners will know I've talked about you many times on the podcast. I've, when I did my um, a pod a day in May or when maybe it was Christmas podding and I talked about the recipes that I relied on, m- the majority of them were yours. Aww. And so I was thinking about what is it that I really enjoy about your approach. And I feel it's that you make food accessible. There's no guilt, there's no complication. It's common sense. And it's kind of, you follow this lovely channel of clarity in and amongst oh. all the noise of this discordant advice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's so good to hear that that's how you find it because it's 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 not easy to, to do that. And it's certainly something that I work really hard at, at doing. And it's I think it's getting more and more simple as I go on. In fact, I was doing an interview earlier and they said, you know, in 2014, it was all about kale and juicing. And it's true, you know, it's true, you know, there are, there are, there have been a lot of different phases within my career. And sometimes in the past, I felt more pressurized to be, to, to jump on the fads or the trends, because that's what everyone was doing. Whereas I think, you know, with, with experience and time, um, it, I, I don't know anyone that's doing it properly. So I just focus on the fundamentals, on the real simplicity, because that's what actually makes the longest term change for people. And I think also the other thing you uh, refer to is expertise and the fact that you have studied this. It's not just that you're a self-taught nutritionist, and I know that there is no such thing, but um, there are there is obviously a lot of noise out there and you can attach yourself to what someone is doing because they make it look good on Instagram, but that is not oh. the qualification. No, I mean, the, unfortunately, the um, the title, the term nutritionist and nutritional therapist, I, I, I think I'm getting this right, um, are not. Um, it's like trichologists they're, they're, and it's very complicated. So I feel like we should steer away from those yeah. things because, because well, they are very. Mm-hmm. But what I mean is with you, you're qualified and it's yeah, not I mean, just that you can take nice pictures. Yeah, thank you for that. Well, yes, I did study um, nutritional therapy for four years. So that was um, uh, the, the sort of hardcore science. You have to really understand the sciences. Um, but what I really loved about my course, um, I think I was always drawn to the therapeutic aspect because I'm a people person more than I would say I'm a scientist. So um, for me, working with people in that therapeutic way and helping to understand them or understanding their brains and their habits and their history their behaviors um, was always what really intrigued me about this. And the course that I did, we spent a year purely in therapeutic practice, working one-on-one with clients under observation. So you really learn how to, you know, to, to work with individuals. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's, what, that's what I've really enjoyed. And I would say that that's certainly my strength within my work, um, more so than, than all of the other aspects. But it was quite an intense course and a, and a very long period of my life. And of course, the the learning never stops. I mean, I emerge myself uh, on a daily basis in in what's going on in the world of nutrition. And of course, my advice has to change and adjust and adapt Mm. all of the time, according to the access to the research that we get. So what I said, I mean, I get people saying to me, but but you said in that interview that you did 12 years ago that you didn't do that. And it's like, well, you know what, I change, I change how I eat 
all of the time. I go through phases like everyone else. Um, and I think it's really important not to have rigid behavior around the way that we eat. Um, because I would say that I have had multiple different stages in the, in the way that I've chosen to eat. Uh, and my approach to food and but but just going back to your point that there are some people that are able to do short-term courses and still call themselves nutritionists and nutritional mm -hmm. therapists so it is really confusing for um for people out there trying to understand who should they take advice from and I think that's why it's really important to always just look at their training um and make sure that that, that they've actually done done the work um, and, are, and are safe to actually give that kind of advice because it's way more complicated than posting pretty pictures on Instagram. Well totally if you were just to, to transpose it to skincare for example somebody with beautiful skin genetically beautiful skin could post the most glorious pictures on Instagram with a picture of a serum bottle and somehow would come across with the right caption as an expert, but you know, that's genetics. And I tell Absolutely. you, a dermatologist grid is going to look very different from that. And that's where the expertise comes in. Yeah, and it would be the same with, you know, there are lots of incredibly slim people who don't look after themselves and don't eat a really nutritious diet, but that's just their genetics. Um, and they can make it look incredibly easy and say, mm -hmm. of course you can eat burgers and fries, but for, some people that's just it's just not as easy and as straightforward so we have to always remember that we're completely and utterly wonderfully unique and that we have to use our own common sense when applying any of the information out there so i think that i was trying to think back to when i discovered you or first heard about you and i think going back to what you were saying a couple of minutes ago i think i really became aware of you because you were being talked about in the sense of this is a nutritional therapist who's not only changing the way people eat, but she's changing their lives at the same time. And so it <laughs> definitely seemed like there was much more of a holistic approach. And mm -hmm. I remember very vividly working on a magazine and having an appointment in reception with um, a nutritionist who, when I walked over to her said, I know your problem um, and wrote down on a piece of paper with a, an apple at the top, um, basically like have this for breakfast, have a carrot stick and some hummus for a snack, have this for lunch, have this mid-afternoon snack and have this for dinner. And I remember just feeling so disheartened because oh, yeah. that piece of paper was just so useless to me. Yes, of course. But she had said that I needed her advice. And that kind of put me off uh, speaking to somebody about what I was eating and how I could manage mm. my weight with food. Mm, um, that's such a shame. That's, yeah, that's really alienating really alienating it's very frustrating but so I I think and I don't know if you mind me mentioning particular names but I think the people that were being talked about at the time were George Michael and Sam Smith not George Michael sorry boy George I always do that oh, child of the 80s thing yeah. um, and Sam Smith and so I was actually gifted your book Eat Nourish Glow Aww. at the Christmas present <laughs> Oh, I love it made me cry because I thought the person giving it was basically telling me I was fat and needed oh, no. to lose weight. Oh no, oh no. And that's so not even what that book was about. No, not at all. But do you know what I did do? I read it. Mm. And there are things about in that that were in that book that I still think about. One of them was the research you did into snacking. Oh yeah. Which I'd love you to elaborate on because that was something that for a long time we were all Right, we've got to hack, we've got to snack, we've got yeah. to take a little packed snack with us whenever we go out. 
Yes. And that's the way I was trained. I mean, you know, at the time, and that's what everyone has to remember is that, you know, I get lots of people saying, oh, nutrition's just so confusing. One minute it's this, the next minute it's that. And, and that's why I just say, well, you, you know, it's your responsibility not to be too rigid with the approach that you have and, and find out what works for you. You know, for some people, they really thrive on eating little and often and having the snacks. But um, I think what we started to learn, you know, like I said, when I was first training, I was taught little and often. So I would always give people sort of um, three meals a day, plus maybe three small snacks. And I ate that way myself for a long time. And then I remember when I first went to a, a lecture with a doctor who really turned all of that around and, you know, I was shaken for a good few days thinking, <laughs> oh my God, I've been giving people all this advice and it's wrong. How can I, how can I was thinking I might have to email every single client that I'd seen and tell them, I'm so sorry, I've given you the wrong advice, but you know, you, you sort of toughen up and you learn that, that, that that's how this, this, you know, the world of nutrition works. Um, but it was revelationary. And um, that's, that's something that has now stuck with me for a good, gosh, I guess it was maybe 10 years ago, or maybe a bit longer. Um, but um, that, that, that we don't need to eat li little and often. And in fact, there's been a lot of research now onto the impact that putting our bodies into short term or long term um, states of fasting can be beneficial for some people and therefore actually not eating all of the time. I think the problem is, is, is a lot of people graze really unconsciously. So often when I work with clients and we talk through their day, oh, well, then I had a biscuit then and then I had a cup of tea then. Oh, and then this friend had some cake and then I had some nuts because I thought I better eat some nuts. And actually people are just unconsciously eating probably every hour of the day throughout the day. And we know that our bodies aren't designed to actually cope with that amount of food on, in, in, you know, so frequently. So yeah, I always encourage people to just actually eat properly at their meals, have three sensible meals each day. And then of course, we have to adapt that. There are some of my clients that just aren't able or they have much longer working hours or people who work on night shifts. So we have to always adapt that information. So I, I, I sound like a broken record, but there is not one way for everyone yeah. to eat. But and certainly that, snacking would be something that I think is sensible for people to just become more conscious of if they're, if they're able uh, and if it's something that they do regularly. I think what can seem frustrating, and it's very difficult for me to talk about nutrition and or food without bringing my own bias into it having really struggled and last year basically reading a book that said you've got a binge eating problem and look it's not like I hadn't figured out that I was probably eating too much but it's the addressing it emotionally yes. that was the real issue and yes. I feel like when I said you were changing people's lives I feel that that was kind of the thing that really came along with your reputation was well she knows what she's talking about with nutrition but she's also got heart and she looks at the individual so on the surface of it and I want this to be really useful for listeners so I'm really trying to um try and make this not emotional about me but on the surface of it the frustrating thing is that fundamentally the rules of eating well aren't that difficult would you say that's sort of in the realms of truth absolutely absolutely it, it it yeah like I said to you at the beginning there are so many people who just don't get the basics right because they're focusing on what pill to pop or what juice to take or the sort of extremes and and hoping for you know a magic fix um rather than actually focusing on what is pretty dull and not that sexy and isn't going to make anyone lots of money um <laughs> you know eat more vegetables have a source of protein drink some water get some sleep do some exercise and look at your emotional connections 
you know, it, they, they are the principles, not just of eating well, but of living well. Yes. Okay. So that is, when you <laughs> say it like that sounds really easy, but there are so many things that can get in the way. So I'm really curious. If someone comes to see you pre-COVID, comes into your office, I mean, first of all, do people tend to come to you the majority of the time? Is it usually about a weight management issue? No, no. I mean, I, th I see people for all sorts of different reasons. I've worked with people who've had chronic skin conditions like eczema. Um, I've worked with people who have, um, I suppose, more in the sort of fatigue areas. I've worked with people that want to lose weight. I've worked with people that have digestive issues. Um, I'd say they're probably the four main areas, but I've worked with a lot of people who have just got this tangled web of confusion with so many different diets and they just got to the point that they've lost any kind of connection with food and they're just a bit frightened of it really and they don't know how to eat. And I think that that's probably what I see, what are the, what's the similarities across everyone that I see. Um, but for me, and again, that goes back to my training, that's, that's what I enjoy the, the most is, is really listening to that person's story and understanding. And for me, I'm going through a million different checklists and spotting any red flags and really working out what their history has been and what their messaging is around food. And in my first book, Eat Nourish Glow, I did share a few of those categories. There's sort of the 80s dieter, there's the snacker, there's, you know, everyone's sort of, I mean, not that I fit everyone into that kind of box, but by, by spending a long period of time listening to that person's story and listening to their health history, it's like a jigsaw and you can start to put pieces together and go, oh, okay. So then you were in hospital then and you had, oh, and then you took a really high dose of antibiotic. Ah, oh, and then, and then you had this and, and it's just a sort of, that, I don't, that's the bit that I, that I enjoy the most and trying to sort of work out the complicated areas because if it was as straightforward as me just saying, eat this, do that like that person did to you just eat this for breakfast and off you go well I certainly wouldn't get the results and, and I wouldn't get clients referring other clients to me it's it's as you say it's way more complicated than just being told what to eat you're like a poirot of nutrition. <laughs> <laughs> well that's all nutritional therapists I mean I mean that's that, I mean I can't speak for others in the profession but that's that was certainly my training and um yeah that's what that's what I'm just so passionate about and I think I would, because this is the first time you're coming on to talk about nutrition specifically and food and health and wellness, I would like to just talk about the fact that you've lived this. You have come, you, I mean, I'll let you tell the story, but in your late 20s, you weren't doing all that well. And when no. someone said, have a look at what you're eating, you were like, I beg your pardon. And this is what began your, your career. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, going, looking back at my childhood, um, we lived in the countryside. My mum, you know, was a, it was a pretty normal um, lifestyle, you know, cereal for breakfast, ate a school lunch. My mum would always cook a home cooked meal in the evenings. Um, but I didn't have access to junk food. I didn't have access to um, what I considered to be sophisticated food. Um, I had very bad acne and digestive issues throughout my teens and, um, early 20s moved to London and it was like the bright lights the big city I wanted to have you know this incredibly exciting life and of course I took advantage of the sophisticated food on option on offer at Pret-a-Manger except I mean I shouldn't name names but you know what I mean it was it was lovely to have convenience food that was accessible to me um, and of course my symptoms just got worse and worse and worse um, I mean I didn't have a horrible disease but I had really bad skin really bad digestive issues I was constantly exhausted and we sort of spend weekends just in bed 
my mood was low. I was always getting run down and catching bugs and things. You know, it's just not the way that a young girl should be. And, and it really got me down. Um, but I definitely wasn't, the, I mean, I'm not the kind of person that sort of thinks I've got to get to the bottom of this and fix this. I'm much more like brush it under the carpet and hope it goes away. Um, so did that for many years um, and did go to, you know, see a few GPs and a few other people trying to see what I could do, but nothing really helped. And it was exactly as you shared when one of my close girlfriends said, you might want to take a look at what you're eating, which I, I then I later learned was basically a beige diet that was lacking in any fiber, any protein, um, any color, um, you know, it was, it was, it was dull and um, it, it certainly wasn't helping me to thrive. So I went to see a nutritional therapist and it was, it was one of those life-changing moments. And I started to really become more interested and learn more and started, it, it just sort of grew from there. And then I got to the point that I thought I, I need to know this for myself. I can't keep reading articles and going to see a nutritional therapist every time I want to know what this supplement could or couldn't do. And so um, I quit my job and I went back to study, which were at the age, at the ripe old age of 26 was considered a mature student. And it felt like a really drastic thing to do at 26. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be 30. That's so old by the time I graduate. But it wasn't really motivated from a career point of view. It was, it was a very personal sort of mission to get myself feeling better um, and to learn more about it. And I think I was at that crossroads in my life anyway. So it, it was one of those fortuitous moments that, that worked out really well for me, it turns out. And you, the reason why you decided to make this change is because you felt the difference. And I was really curious to understand what it was like to make those dietary changes without pre-going and studying it, observing how it made you feel, and then going to school and unpicking it scientifically. Yes. And how that must have been quite, that must have been really interesting. Yes, it's amazing. It, it was amazing. Um, and you're right, I, I felt dramatically different with only making the smallest and simplest of changes. So the nutritional therapist that I saw didn't put me on a juice fasting cleanse and thousands of supplements and um, anything crazy or extreme. It still felt extreme to me to give up having three spoons of sugar in my tea, which was about 12 cups a day um, and not having a bar of chocolate every day. So it, it, it was a big change for me, the kind of diet that she suggested, but it was much more focused about what to include. So I just started eating more vegetables. I just started drinking more water and slowly it phased out by focusing what to include, it phased out some of the other things. So it was a very empowering um, stage for me and she did recommend a couple of supplements and just to feel the hormonal balancing watch my skin improve start to get my digestive system to to improve it was I mean it really was life-changing and I know that that sounds dramatic but it was transformational for me and that's what that's the kick that I get out of doing that with my clients and you know I can often work tell if I'm working with a client and I'm not going to get that result because they're maybe not ready yet they're not in the right place and um often I'll you know suggest other things for them because because what I love is when I can really change someone's life which is what mm. happened for me um but then yes have it you know starting to learn it from a deeper point of view and um and get get the sort of whole 360 approach 
was was amazing. So by the time I graduated, I was thriving <laughs> and suddenly thought, gosh, this isn't just about me. I can actually help other people do this. And um, off I off I marched. <laughs> well, indeed. And look at what look at what you've done. And I think there is so much misinformation out there or there's I don't know whether it's marketing hype, whether it's misinformation or whether it's all of these things. But for example, I grew up in the 80s and that was very much the era of microwaves and convenience food. Yeah. And so very much that kind of idea that cooking fresh food was inconvenient or challenging or difficult or not easy. Yes. Took a lot of time. And one of the biggest revelations I've had in the last 12 months is how joyous cooking every meal from scratches with fresh ingredients, how it is not inconvenient, how it is not more expensive, how it makes you feel the next day. And yet there's still this idea that we've got to have convenience in there. And that, that's mm -hmm. a really big one. I'm imagining when people come to you and say, I don't have the time. Yes, I think there's, there's always been this very subtle message that we can do it for you. You're too busy to do this. And of course there, there has been, you know, a, a positive feminist move away from women's place in the home, preparing all of the meals. And so it's odd sometimes to be going full circle. And, and a lot of the advice that I give is quite 1960s housewife, like, do you have Tupperware? And are you batch cooking? Um, but the thing is, I think, I think that it worked. And I think that it is possible to modernize that approach and that it, for it not to be a female only um, thing. But I, I think that there has been this message that we don't have time um, and that, you know, because there are convenience options, then, you know, that that's the solution. Whereas if we didn't have that as a choice, there wouldn't be any other option but to, you know, to, to feed ourselves. And I think that then that would change people's approaches. But I, I do think, you know, every we, we put our time into the things that we enjoy. So there are some people that really make time for going to the gym but they wouldn't make time for reading a book. Or there are some people that make time for reading a book, but they wouldn't make time for cooking. So something does have to go. I mean, I definitely put my time into cooking meals from scratch because I understand it. It makes sense for me. I don't see, I, I just don't really choose any other options. But, you know, I don't spend time reading lots and lots of lovely novels. And, you know, I'm lucky if I get through four or five books a year. Um, so I do think it is about, looking at our time and prioritizing our time and that's obviously something that I spend a lot of time working through with clients yeah because I think the thing yeah as I said it really <clears throat> isn't that difficult to cook a meal from scratch and it doesn't really take that long and I wonder as it well have to. is so for example yesterday I uh, had a really busy day and by the time it got round to eating I was just not in the mood Mm. And I ate, I have baked beans on toast, Amelia. And I enjoy a baked beans on toast every now and again. <laughs> but this morning when I woke up, I thought, right, there's going to be one change today you're going to make. And you're going to make something really crunchy and fresh and lovely for dinner. Because if I don't have any kind of, um, if I don't take part in the creation of the food, I feel like I'm disconnected from it now. Mm, that's so, so interesting. I, so I feel like I can lose lose um lose sight of the fact that i am sated mm. if i've just done something very quickly yeah and and that makes so much sense doesn't it i mean looking back at how i used to eat i had zero connection with the food because i wasn't involved in the process it was like a numbing experience it was i'm doing so many other things and i will grab some food on the way 
Whereas you're right, when you're invested in the process and you spend the time peeling and chopping, which let's face it, is the majority of time when you're cooking from scratch. Yeah. Uh, when you put, when you invest that time, um, it does matter more. And you do feel like you've achieved something and you do feel proud of yourself when you've made something. But I think, um, I think a lot of the problem is that people are too perfectionist about it. They think that it, when they make something, it has to be Instagrammable or it has to be like, you know, what these incredible chefs make. And I sort of, I always have this spectrum of like, there's the, there's the chefs, the what, you know, they're trained, they're incredible with food. They, they do wonderful things with food, but you know, I don't think that even they eat like that every single day. And then on the other end, you've got your convenience food, which we know numbs us, takes, takes us, you know, is, 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 is purely there for convenience, um, but maybe not something that we connect with. And really, we just got to find that sort of place in the middle. It's that gray area, isn't it? It's just feeding ourselves day to day. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be exquisite. It doesn't have to be amazing. Baked beans on toast, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that that's the misc... I mean, if that's all you were eating, of course, I would talk to you about getting some other colors and some other sources of fiber in there. But um, I think that that's where somehow the message has just gone too far that people think it has to be they're either holding themselves to the chef standards and they think that it has to be sensational all of the time rather than actually sometimes my food looks crap and sometimes it isn't the most exciting food but it 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 does what it needs to do exactly and every meal doesn't have to taste like a, a restaurant meal sensation no. like i actually now really savor the quite boring meals i make if that sounds and sort of like save my save my zingy meal for Saturday night or something, Maybe yeah, that's just really really sad. But when I, I that's sensible, that's real. But when I was thinking more functional, I think is the way I would probably uh, try and explain it. But when I was going through all of the books and what have you, I really kept coming back to this idea of with you, it's about connecting, or that or that's definitely the message I get from you. It's mm -hmm. not about, don't worry about what so-and-so is eating. Don't worry about what this website says or what that magazine mm -hmm. says. I feel as though you say, let's just focus on you. How does yes. this make you feel? What do yes. you have the time for? And is that when you get people come to you for consultations or what have you, would you say that there is the work that needs to be done mostly is about getting people to, to, to fixing that disconnection? Totally, totally. And, and you know, I spend a quite a lot of time. I have to be quite nosy, really, to kind of understand their life, understand their day to day habits. And sometimes people can be a bit um, guarded initially, like, why is she asking me all these questions? And I have to keep saying, I hope you feel safe. Um, the reason the reason that I'm asking these questions is X, Y and Z, because sometimes people do just want to be handed a piece of paper like you were handed and be told what to do. And but but we know that very few people will go away and follow that I mean I don't know many people that just do what they're told um so yeah there's a long there's a long process of understanding their lifestyles and trying to work out what what is realistic I mean I certainly would never tell someone who's lived on takeaways for the last five years that they've got to start sprouting their mung beans you know it's <laughs> it's um I've got to be realistic and with some clients that is just getting them onto a healthier version of a ready-made meal than the choices that they're making and sometimes that's where you start. But everything I do is how, how can I make a difference to this person's life within the next 28 days? Because if I can make a difference to their life, if I can help them to feel some, some way better, 
in the next 28 days, then they're going to be more engaged in the process. And then we can slowly build on the kind of things that I want to get them to eating. But um, if I just told everyone what the perfect way is to eat, which let's face it, isn't dissimilar for that many people. But if I just gave them that at the beginning, uh, yeah, I, I just wouldn't get the results that I get. So very much like your journey, you had to sort of pick it, pick it apart and work out what your process was and what was going on with you. And that's, that's all I do with people. I, you know, it, it's, it, it takes, it takes the time, but it's such a privilege to, to, you know, go through it with them. But I also think food is a very complicated topic anyway, because it's something that we need to survive. And yet it's dressed up in all sorts of guises, sugary yeah. ones, fatty ones, healthy ones, yeah. unhealthy ones, yeah. um, gluten-free ones. And so if someone's yeah. listening to this and they're thinking, actually, I, I don't feel that I'm in my best health necessarily. I don't feel unhealthy, but actually I'm interested to see whether I could make some nutritional changes and see if I feel that. What's the best place to start? And as you say, I know you've got a gazillion different people with lots of different starting points but is there a is there a universal kind of this is a really good way to just reframe perhaps to move forward well I think probably and I, I know this sounds like a shameless plug and I'm not really meaning it but I I'm so proud of the third book that I wrote which is Nourish and Glow the 10-day plan I mean I sort of wish in hindsight that I could have changed the title because I think the title's really misleading for the for what the book's about but in the book, me and my team, we create, we sort of sat down, we said, right, what does everyone act actually need to eat each day? So we know we've got the eat well plate, um, but I think that that maybe doesn't explain to people what a day can look like um, in their lives. So we sort of looked at the research, we decided what we were gonna go with, what we think is practical, doable, realistic, from a price point of view, um, and from you know how much someone can actually eat. And we created this, what we call the positive nutrition pyramid, which is just a tick box pyramid. And as you get through the day, go through the day, you tick off the various food groups. And the idea in an ideal world is that by the end of the day, you've completed the pyramid. Um, and it's not meant to be shaming or blaming because there are definitely days that I don't complete the pyramid, but it's meant to just be a kind of guide to show people because sometimes you can you can start that off with clients and they'll we'll just realize that their diet's completely lacking in fiber or protein or whatever. So it's just sort of it, it's positive. That's why we called it the positive nutrition pyramid. So I think and you can download that for free from my website. You don't, I mean, the book really explains the detail of why we've chosen each food group and how to make it work. But even if someone just wants to have a go, they can just go to my website and click on the third book, which is Nourish and Glow the 10-day plan, and print off these um the the pyramids and they can just have a go of ticking through it each day and I think that that's that to me is the most simple place for people to start because it might just be that they need some more water or fluids um not doesn't have to just be water but fluids um and and I just I'd, I I it, it's really worked it's like so many people have connected with that pyramid and with that idea I mean to, to really simplify it more if you just if no one wanted to go that far and you said what where would where should someone start I would probably say look at vegetables because I don't think you can harm anyone by saying eat more vegetables um, and I don't really meet enough people that are eating enough vegetables so I think that that would probably be a sensible place to start even if you just added one more portion of vegetables to your day 
over the course of 10 years, that's 3,650 more vegetables. And that is going to be life-changing, not the juice cleanse that you do for a week or the turmeric latte that you have on a Monday after a week, a weekend of eating pizza or binging or whatever it is. Sorry, I like pizza. I don't mean to shame any foods um, at all, but you, I'm just using that as an example. Oh, totally. I remember when I used to work in Soho, I would go into the office not feeling that great. And on the way, I would pick up a cookie and a turmeric latte and feel holier than now. <laughs> like, yes, I'm doing all the right things. I've got a turmeric latte and then I'd have another one. But I'm curious as well, because one of the, I mean, I, I like science. I like science in my skincare. And it was one of those helpful approaches that allowed me to actually get a handle of my relationship with food. But I understand that it can be slightly contentious, but I come down in many ways on calories in versus calories out. And so mm. I have a set amount of calories that I like to stick to, although it's not particularly rigid. But mm. uh, I had Gillian Michaels on the podcast recently, and she said, if you have x number of calories and it's all sweets and sugar but it, you're still in a deficit you'll still lose weight but your skin will be disgusting you'll probably feel yeah. like rubbish but if yeah. you eat the same number of calories and it's plant-based or and there's lean protein in there you're going to shed weight and you're going to look and feel great do you yes. come down in that kind of do you absolutely absolutely i mean i've never really focused on calories of course we can't ignore it there is there is you know very obvious science that if you're eating more calories then you can um burn off uh from a weight loss point of view but but it's for me i've always struggled with the fact that it just doesn't take into consideration the nutrients and we need essential the reason why the nutrients are called mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Central nutrients is because we can't make them or get them from any other way other than the food that we eat. And so we do need to eat every single day, but we need to eat a wide variety of foods in order to achieve all of the different essential nutrients, so vitamins, minerals, fats, etc., that we need in order to, for our health to thrive. And that's all areas. It's not just about the weight on the scales. And I think that it's such a shame that sometimes it just gets, you know, broken down into such a basic thought process that you know what what the number on the scale says equates to health um versus you know symptoms and how we look and feel um etc so so of, of course uh i'm i'm aware of calories and um can can of course look at that with clients but i'm always focused on nutrients first mm. And that's, and that's because, as you say, they are essential nutrients and because they actually make the difference. And there's no point just buying expensive supplements on top of a beige diet. Not at all. I mean, uh, 
yeah, I would always go from a food first point of view. Again, it's that, I think there's that, there's that, um, it's so easy to fall into it. So I don't say this with any judgment of, of anyone because I've been there myself, but there's just this idea that there's something in a bottle that's going to be a magic, a magic solution. I was talking to with a friend on a walk just the other morning and she, she just said, you know, what would be the one supplement that I should take that's just going to make me feel better? And I was like, oh, come on, really? Are you really <laughs> asking me that? Do you really think that there's one thing? And I said, you know, you've got to understand it's a multi-pronged approach. And that's how I get the results that I get with my clients. And that's certainly how I apply to my life. Now, it doesn't mean that I do everything all at once, because I think that sometimes it's a bit overwhelming. Mm. And there are, you know, I've, I've always been very honest when I write and when I do interviews about, you know, the things that I get right and the things that I still need to work on, because I think everyone, we all have the weak spots. Um, but there are definitely months when I focus more on one area and then months that I focus on another area and it just depends on what's going on. And that's why I always say it's something going back to how I said at the beginning, we mustn't be too rigid and like, this is how I live my life. We have to adapt all the time according to what's going on. I've had periods where sleep's been a big issue for me. I mean, mostly because I've got a young child. Um, but so I would do everything I could do to support better sleep, because if I wasn't sleeping properly, that really damaged my relationship to food and my diet and then um, changed my ability to exercise, etc. So we have to constantly I've forgotten what we were talking about. Now. <laughs> no, <laughs> God, no. <laughs> do you know what's interesting, though, is that you came up in uh, you, you, you've developed a profile, you came up in the media, etc. At the same time as there was a real wellness burst of like, here's mm. some great nutritional advice and here's some great wellness advice and do this cleanse and all mm. of those sorts of things. And I think it all took a really woeful turn because I it think, did. yeah women are really bright. Like I credit, mm. I credit women and men, but I think that a lot of this is targeted at women. And I think we're really bright, but there comes a point where you're so saturated with conflicting information that that's where you almost make yourself vulnerable to fall for the three day cayenne pepper cleanse or whatever it might be. Mm. Have mm. you really, uh, I mean, I'm guessing that you see that in action. Oh, of course. And I mean, I really fell into it. I think when I first um, you know, had interest from journalists and media, you know, no, I wasn't trained in that. I was a nutritional therapist. I didn't have a clue about how it all worked. And um, I remember it being really led by clickbait and the journalists would say, no, no, we really want it to be this angle. So I would be trying really hard to adjust the advice and my knowledge to fit their needs so that they could have this big flashy title. Um, and also, it, as you said, the wellness world exploded and suddenly there was so much going on that even I didn't really know how to figure my way through it. So, so I, you know, I, I hold my hands up. People could easily criticize me of making some mistakes in that, in that whole period. And then certainly with clean eating, I mean, wasn't, it wasn't something that I, um, and I don't remember using that term, but I and the way I understood it made sense for, you know, what I was talking about, which was cleaning up your diet and, um, you know, in a, in a very positive uh, way, helping people to make better food choices. But in hindsight, I can totally see how uh, how it can it was so misconstrued and some of the things that I said or wrote about. And there's lots of things I would change now. Um, so I so I experienced it, but I think I've come out the other side you know, with much better knowledge and um, I'm, I'm much more, 
uh, aware of, of, of not to get caught up in in the current fad of the moment. In fact, I'd say I go the other way. I just well, that's because you've got this brilliant skill set. But for for people who are reading it, you know, opening up their phones in the morning and reading whatever article's been pushed into their inbox by the e-zine that they subscribe to, I mm. think those are the people who where we can sort of say the fundamental principles of eating well have never really changed. Um, in the same way as exercise, if you go yeah. to a personal trainer, the fundamental principles of building muscle have never really changed. It's about doing this exercise with good form consistently yeah. for a period of time, but it's the noise around it that creates yes. this massive disconnection. Yeah, and so, I, yeah, I mean, it. I do get frustrated when I see inflammatory headlines and I see, um, I don't know, I, even when I do interviews, sometimes I can then see how something that I've said has just been twisted that slight bit. And so there is a responsibility for those that write and share news. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm saying this delicately, but um, yeah, it is frustrating. And, 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 and you know, I, I hold myself in, in, in that as well. You know, I'm very um, strict with myself and the words that I use. And hence, I, I, if a journalist rings me up and on the spot says, you know, I need a quote within the next 50 minutes. I just said, well, I'm really sorry. You know, I like to check my research because it changes all the time. I have to constantly check what I'm saying is still this is still right and correct. Mm. So I don't I don't go in for that kind of journalism anymore. I also think that the I did what the wellness industry did and very much obviously what journalism uh, had a role in was this idea that there would be free foods. And I say this, anyone who's ever followed a diet where you've got a free food will understand what I mean. It's that thing that you can eat, yeah. you know, just endlessly with full, you know, full impunity. <laughs> so I remember that when I was first told about nut butter, I thought it was a good food, which meant I thought it was a free food. <laughs> I ate a lot of almond butter in one sitting once. Several yeah. sittings. <laughs> And that's really highly calorific. So, I mean, is there is there anything? Vegetables. <laughs> that's it. Vegetables are your free food. I mean, joking aside, I always say to clients, start with your vegetables. Fill half of your plate with vegetables because that is what's going to fill you. That's your fibre. That's going, you know, it ticks a lot of the box in term, boxes in terms of nutrients. So make sure that half of your plate is filled with vegetables. It, you know... And then, and then you have a little bit of protein. It's all in my books or on my website. Mm. But um, you know, you it, it's it's hard to sort of overeat on vegetables. Mm. Do you mm. feel this? I always blame but, Madonna. But really sorry to interrupt, but really, okay. again, I, I sort of just don't want to support the concept of free foods because again, that takes away the connection, the sort of you know the joy in what you're eating. And if you think of food as as in that good or that bad sense. Um, or that this is this is free you're, you're kind of putting some kind of um, emotion or something towards that food whereas you know food is equally a joyful process and so really it, it's important to work more with the relationship with food and that connection with food than it is to think of foods in terms of if they're going to do you harm or good does that make uh, sense? Yes, it does. And I, I, I always blame Madonna for this because I feel like she was the start of it. But I feel as though, and I'm being really unfair, Madonna, you're fine. Um, <laughs> and that's that, do you remember when Madonna was, uh, came back and she did, I think it was the Blonde Ambition tour, or maybe it was the Who's That Girl tour, and she was ripped. She went yeah. from looking a certain way and then she came back and she was just, there was muscle definition everywhere. 
and she was running and people were like, how has she done this? And it was kind of the start of this fascination with diet and exercise. I mean, there's always yeah. been a fascination, but, and I yeah. feel that it went very extreme and that how she approaches her diet and her, her dietitian or nutritional therapist or nutritionist giving quotes to the papers about what she was eating and her trainer saying how she was exercising is so irrelevant because the people reading the newspapers aren't going on a world tour and don't have to perform for two hours every night so why would we exercise and eat in the same way that Madonna does yeah yeah absolutely and it's also just I I mean again this this kind of slightly going off topic but it's so frustrating that there's this belief that we all need to be one way and there are some people that are naturally very slim or very ripped or very athletic and they can do minimal amounts of work to have that sort of what is currently considered the, the per, you know perfect body or look um, and, and yet for some people it doesn't matter how much they restrict themselves how much they do exercise how much they work out um, they'll never actually be able to achieve that look and so we've just we've just got to kind of move away from and again go back to ourselves as individuals and say well what what can I do and how far am I willing to take it like I'm 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 just not a rigid person and and I don't I don't want to live my life with lots and lots of rules so therefore I accept that my body is the way that it is and if I wanted to look the way that lots of people tell me I should look, I would have to deprive myself. I would have to exercise extremely. I would have to work so hard at it. And I'm not interested in that because there are other aspects in my life that are really much more joyful and fulfilling. And I don't mean to say that, you know, with any shame, there are some people that really that, that it works for them. It, it works for that for them to live that way of life and, and it makes them feel good. So again, it's, it's, it's like each to their own, mm. um, but there should never be an idea that, that we can all achieve the same results from doing the same thing. Exactly. I saw a quote, I think it was on Alex Light's feed recently where she said, even if we all ate exactly the same thing, we would all look completely different. It's and that's so true. It's so true. I mean, it's so simple. I love that. Yeah. Um, And the other thing that I uh, would be really interested to know, you have your positive nutrition checkbox, which is really useful. And I'll obviously put the link to that in the show notes. But I wondered if you have a similar thing for how people can check in with themselves. And again, I keep harping on about this because I feel as though where I was disconnected from my body for the majority of my life, I now feel connected to it because of Mm. the work I've done. and, I've, and that for me has been the most empowering thing. And that's what I would really love to share with my listeners. But it's really hard for, for me to be able to say, just do this because I only have anecdotal personal experience. And I wondered if you have any check boxes or any tick boxes or things that people say to you when they do make tweaks to their diet and they say, you know what, I felt these three things in the first 28 days. And that's how I noticed that I was making, that the changes were happening. Is there any kind of, how it should make you feel when you change your diet checklist. Gosh, um, I was going to answer something completely different, but then I think I was misunderstanding your question. I think, I, I, I just, I think the checkboxes are so different for each person. Obviously it's really symptom led. So if someone that I work with is suffering with headaches, it's like on a scale of one to 10, how bad is your headache today? And you watch over the course of those 28 days, you know, you hopefully see the number reducing. Um, but I think, that there's that sense of achievement or that sense of like feeling good about yourself 
when you start to do things that are caring about yourself. I think we all know that when we care about ourselves, we feel good. So I think the thing that I ask people to ask themselves more of a checklist, which I think is the most helpful thing. And it's something that I do every day for myself when I need to make a decision about what, what to do is what is the kindest thing I can do for myself right now? I love that. So when, so when my clients say to me, you know, it's just once the kids are in bed and I've done all the cleaning and I've done this or I've done that, you know, I find my head stuck in the fridge at 11.30 at night and I just want to devour the contents of the fridge. What's the kindest thing I can do for myself right now? And we know, we know in that moment, we know the answers. And it, it's huge. I think we talked about this a little bit on the self-care podcast that I did with you. Um, you know, it's like, take yourself to bed, run a bath, read a book, call a friend. I mean, maybe not 11.30 at night, but, you know, I think if you can ask yourself that question, it, it is the, the, the most helpful thing to help each and every one of us in those moments um, make a decision about what we need to do. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Because it, it's that connection it, and it's putting you first. It really works. And it's not just about food choices either. Oh, exactly, exactly. Because we can't just isolate the food. I mean, of course I'm a nutritionist, so of course I talk about the food, but we, we mustn't just isolate the food in terms of um, being the only important aspect of how we feel and our healthcare. We've got to look at all of the other things. Again, going back to my favorite book, Nourish and Glow, the 10 day plan. Um, at the beginning of it, I did a lovely sort of flower circle chart of all of the aspects of, um, of healthcare and wellness that, that we need to sort of make sure we're not neglecting. And there's a lot more beyond just diet, but because diet seems to be the one that catches people out so much and because it is so complicated and has so many hidden messages, hidden and mixed messages, um, you know, that's the one that, that tends to get most attention and hence maybe does need a, a, a lot more work. But, um, you know, there are always other areas that we can look at. But certainly for my clients that sabotage themselves or just find themselves unable to make some of the most simple changes, um, just entering into this dialogue, which starts, well, it, start, it begins the, the process of them starting to learn about caring for themselves. Do you think we need to go back one step further and look at how we educate about food? Is there enough education, like um, the insights that you have, that people are absorbing um, when they're in school? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I I look back and I don't I don't remember having, uh, you know, well, look at my teens. I had no connection to the food choices that I was making, and I don't remember being taught anything about it. I think, you know, as I'm raising a young child and I'm watching the messages that she's getting through food, obviously it's really important to me having worked with so many clients and knowing what I know. Um, but I feel like I'm up against it with, uh, in terms of just how far behind we are with people's approaches to food. Um, so she's only just started nursery and there's cake pretty much every day. <laughs> Um, and not that I'm shaming cake, there's a place in our lives for cake, there must be, but um, not every day, and uh, certainly not for, for little people. So yes, uh, to answer your question, I think that we, we, we certainly need to educate much more. Um, I wouldn't know where to begin. I just, I just wouldn't know where to begin. 
No, I think I, hopefully it'll start to happen. I think maybe we still need to do a lot more research, mm. um, research into it. And I guess attitudes to food still have to change. Yeah, and it's like you said, I was thinking when you were talking about joy, that's also another thing, if I didn't say it at the top of this conversation, that's another thing that really comes out of your books is that food isn't about deprivation and it's it, it really is about nourishing, enjoying, feeding, nurturing. It, it's all the lovely words. And when we were talking a minute ago, I was thinking about in the same way as with free foods and thinking about all the diets I've done over the years where it's been like, here's your free food or this is your free day. I also think about all the times I've made an excuse not to go out and see friends because I'd eaten too much or perceived that I'd eaten too much that day and I didn't want to be in a position where I'd eat more. And oh. how every single time I've been part of a weight loss club, there will be someone in the meeting who talks about the fact that I don't want to not go out and enjoy my life. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, it's as though never the twain shall meet, but actually going out and enjoying yourself doesn't mean it's not about the food that you put in your yeah, mouth. Yeah. It's about the company. It's about the experience. But I think we have a long way to go before we can really, you know, separate those two. And it's definitely an obstacle that I come up against uh, on a regular basis with clients. Um, and, 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 and I don't have that problem, you know, because I, I've never deprived myself. I mean, I've certainly had periods where I've had to remove certain food groups. And so in like my first couple of books, you know, but but for me, it was always about, well, finding ways to work around that so you could still enjoy the cake or you could still enjoy the biscuits or whatever, because some people need to avoid certain food groups. But um, but for me, I've always been able to um, see the pleasure and the social and emotional, the, the importance of those social emotional aspects of um, sharing a meal with loved ones or with great company um, and not having any sort of guilt or shame around that. But obviously, if you're trapped in a diet, state of mind um that's incredibly that's incredibly hard Mm. and you talked as well you mentioned the word sabotaging and again I don't want to have a basically like get myself (laughs) a personal consultation from you (laughs) but in reflecting on my own issues with food I've definitely realized that there was a lot of self-sabotage going Mm. on I didn't know it was self-sabotage I just thought I was greedy um and is it is it the case that it's it is actually of all the things that you can sabotage yourself with. I've always thought food is so nefarious because you need it, plus it's inexpensive. And actually the food that you can really sabotage yourself with is the cheapest. Yes. No one yeah. sabotages themselves with caviar. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> Not that I know of. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, sorry, I don't really know how to answer that. I mean, what was the, what, what was the question? So sort of? it, just in the fact that, okay, uh, looking at the bigger picture, some mm. of us might be unhappy for a reason completely unrelated to food, but food and is yet they use thing. Yeah, I guess it's just that so many of us use food to numb us, or to distract us, or to avoid uncomfortable feelings or emotions. I bet when you were in that process, that that time in your life, you weren't conscious of self-care you wouldn't have asked yourself what's the kindest thing I can do for myself right now Mm. and in that moment you know there are certain moments that the kindest thing you can do for yourself right now might be to eat the packet of kettle chips or caviar (laughs) to use your example whatever it is so you know there there we have to be adults about it there are times that um you know we have to assess the situation and work out um 
you know, like having cake on your child's birthday is not a bad thing. And having some, um, you know, drinking too much wine with a girlfriend that you haven't seen in a long time or a girlfriend that's going through a difficult time is not a bad thing. It's bad if it becomes a day-to-day habit and you're doing it in an unconscious form where it's trying to distract you or numb you or avoid something else that's going on. And that's, you know, the key is, is working out what's really going on. And that's what I spend. I think we talked about this the last time, but that's what I spend a long time working through with clients. And, and we talk about the concept of non-food treats, which is other ways that you can be kind to yourself that isn't about food. Because we, you know, it's, we, we, it's not really our fault that, like it's definitely not the food's fault, but we blame the food all the time. Um, it's not the food's fault at all for um, if we get symptoms or if we abuse it or overuse it. Um, it's, you know, we were taught from a very young age that food is the soother, that food is what comforts us, that food is what we need. And we know we need to eat, but as a young baby, when you, if you were crying, if you needed soothing, you were put to your mother's breast, hopefully, or given a bottle. Um, so from a very, very, very early stage in our lives, we've been taught that food is a comforter. So, um, it, it's no it, it it makes sense that when we're distressed we turn to food or good old British you know have a cup of tea um yeah. uh, and so I think that maybe that just gets out of hand in a lot of cases and, and it's just working backwards and unpicking it and putting in place some maybe more rewarding or helpful habits that are going to enhance someone's life yes I don't know if you were a fan of the film Jaws but um the film Jaws is not about a shark. And I feel as though a lot of the ways in which we eat is not about the food. Absolutely. And that's what I kept coming back to when I was going through my thing is like, it's not a, it's not a film about the shark. Like this has nothing to do with the yes. food. There's some other things going on here that you yes. need to deal with. Always, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so uh, to close, now that we are coming to the end of our time together, one of the other things that you've said about uh, nutrition about how we feed ourselves and I think this is such a brilliant point because we can often think that if we eat a certain way get to a certain weight or fit into a certain clothes size that we've achieved it and I love the fact that you say how you eat is not a destination it's a journey and you're mm. entitled to have twists and turns mm. and I just wondered if you could describe that because obviously it's something that you've been on you've managed your own health you mm. um, there have been times when you've eaten more of the things and less of things yeah I mean it's it, it's it, I think to to just really emphasize that it's not a destination it's not somewhere that I've achieved I'm not finished you know I've got the rest of my life and there will be things that will happen throughout the course of my the rest of my life that will influence and impact the way that I eat or the way that I feel or my health um you know when I first learned about nutrition I made some changes then I went really extreme I was sort of really perfect and really irritating to my family um, and friends and um, you know then when I when I was pregnant that completely threw me because I just didn't want to eat a green vegetable and I remember being told to drink smoothies and just you know wanting to punch that person because it's just you know there, there are just times that you just can't do you, you can't force yourself and forcing ourselves to eat something that we don't enjoy. I mean, I was working with a client the other day and she was like, right, I'm going to be super perfect today. I'm going to do it really well. I'm going to make myself celery juice. I was like, do you like celery juice? She went, no, it's revolting. I was like, well, then that's not good for you, is it? Um, so I, I don't believe in, you know, we should ever be forcing ourselves to do things that we don't enjoy. Of course, someone might have to start to learn to like vegetables or to learn 
you know, to include more diversity in their diet. Um, but it's, it's an ongoing journey. So pregnancy changed things for me. When I gave birth, it was like overnight, I was taken back to my teenage habits of eating because I was so shocked and so sleep deprived. It didn't matter that I've got years and years of nutritional knowledge. I just wanted comfort and I wanted sweet sugary tea. I wanted toast and marmite. I was ravenous. I, I was craving for carbohydrates in a way that I've never experienced before. Um, and I wasn't able to, I just suddenly didn't have all of the time that I'd had as this single, completely self-absorbed person who had time to, you know, make all of this lovely food from scratch and batch cook. And of, of course I'd batch cooked before giving birth, but it, 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 it definitely floored me. And, it, and I really, um, you know, wasn't really looking after myself um, in the first six months of my daughter's life because I was so focused on looking after her. Um, but then, you know, my knowledge started to kick in and I was like, there has to be a solution. There has to be a way. And actually that's where my fourth book came from mm. because I had to learn how to really simplify and speed up what I was doing to make it, um, to make it possible to, to, to have the quick meals that I needed, like, as I was starving with breastfeeding. So I just needed to eat all the time. And instead of the Marmite on toast, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, I needed more nutrients than that mm. could provide. So I started adding mackerel and spinach to the toast to get some healthy fats and a bit more fiber and some greens. Um, and I created a whole chapter on just healthier sandwich toppings to just, you know, for, for the really sort of speedy ways that I could get more food into me. So it was quite a selfish, um, selfish <laughs> <laughs> period, but, but the book came out of it and it had, it's not, it's not written for new mothers. Um, that was just the phase that I was in, but it's certainly written for busy people mm. who don't really have that much time to cook. Um, and then, you know, since then it's been, it's been lots of different phases. And then recently I had COVID, I lost all of my taste and smell and I completely lost my appetite. So I went from being a person who really celebrates breakfast and always enjoys a breakfast, a big breakfast with eggs and sauerkraut and vegetables. And, and, and I just can't eat that at the moment. So I've completely turned myself upside down and I'm now having a protein smoothie every morning for breakfast, which if you'd asked me a year ago, I'd have said, oh, I can't bear smoothies. So I think it's really important that we must, under, you know, it's interesting for me to be in this new phase where I just don't have, I've lost my appetite a lot since COVID and um, I'm having to find ways of getting the nutrients that I need into me um, in different ways because I'm not really enjoying my food as much as I, as I, you know, have done previously. So uh, it's, it's ongoing. I'm not finished. I haven't reached it. There will be lots and lots of different phases and stages and, you know, if I suddenly got acne next month or if I suddenly got digestive issues next month, there might be periods that I'd give up certain food groups and or introduce other things. And I just think it's so important to really get that across to people that it's not, as you said, it's not a destination. It's not it's not a, a finding a way to eat and sticking with it for the rest of our life. And it's, re and it's, it's OK to change. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And it's reemphasizing your point of being pay attention to you. Like, yes. how are you feeling if you're yes. on some sort of diet whether it's restrictive or otherwise and you don't feel great pay attention to that and then exactly. finally I do want to ask you because I do think this is so vital you talk a lot about preparing your food and preparing your kitchen and I think we can talk about you know preparing for success but I think mm -hmm. definitely having a well-stocked kitchen or having a kitchen that has the things in it that when your head is in the fridge 
maybe yeah. for the wrong reasons you can pull yeah. out something that's lovely what what tips do you have on preparing it's yeah it's just sort of it, it, it is just giving yourself that helping hand. If you get to eight o'clock at night and you're knackered and you're hungry, but like you said last night, you were really hungry and you haven't thought about it, then it's unlikely that you're going to think, yeah, I'll get some carrots out and I'll peel them and then I'll chop them and then I'll chop an onion and some garlic. You know, we have to kind of have a bit of a plan. So I think, no, I mean, I now meal plan quite religiously and it really makes a difference to how my week goes because I now have to think of other people to feed. Um, it's, I just find having a little plan that I just jot down on the back of an envelope on a Sunday night and just work out roughly. I know that we're going to have white fish once a week, oily fish once a week, maybe some chicken, and then I'll adapt, you know, I know the things that my daughter loves. I know the things that are easy to make. I know the things that I've got in the freezer. So I think just having a bit of a plan and, and yeah, if you, if you have a cupboard full of um, the things that you know, that you know, you're trying to avoid, um, it's not really giving you a great chance of success. So I say, you know, put the snacks or the naughty things, if you want to, I mean, they're not naughty, of course, got to be careful with my words. Um, you've got to, you know, put them in a box, put them out of reach, put them somewhere that you can't see them so that they're not the first thing that you see when you're really hungry. We've got to give ourselves that best chance. So, um, you know, having helpful things like a tin of tomatoes and some tin, a tin of chickpeas or some, you know, things that you can cook quickly. And if you're cooking, if you're taking the time to cook, don't just cook for that one meal cook you know double up the portion so that you've got lunch the next day or you've got a portion a couple of portions of soup that you can have in the freezer that sort of thing I think it's it's just yeah getting a bit organized but I think as well making your kitchen a place that you want to be in that you want to enjoy if your kitchen's the dumping ground and it's just full of clutter and messy um it doesn't really make it a, a pleasing place to be so like feel you know, have the confidence to light a candle, put on some nice music, have a nice plant there, make it, make it a pretty place or make it a place that inspires you, make it somewhere that you actually want to hang out. And those little things can, can make all of the difference to, you know, somewhere that we spend a hell of a lot of time um, and, you know, have, have to spend quite a lot of time in. This is why I really enjoy your approach because nothing in what you said has made me feel tense has made me feel guilty has made me feel um like I'm doing anything wrong it's it all again it comes back to what I was saying earlier it's the joy it's the fun it's the self-care and I think it's such a lovely way to approach food so as you know huge fan of your books and your recipes and I've said it before I don't eat red meat very often but the slow beef curry <laughs> is unbelievable and every time I talk to you and you tell me about that curry, it makes me think I've got to make it again. I haven't made it for ages because I don't eat much red meat either. Um, you but I, I think that was a time that red meat was really being shamed and people were, you know, uh, we know we know that our diets need to be more plant-based, um, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't mean that, you know, for those of us that still want to eat a bit of animal produce, that we shouldn't occasionally have it. We've just got to be more um, conscious of, of where we're buying it from. Yes, um, 100% and absolutely. Now, I'm going to thank you for your time. I know we have come to the end of our time together, but listeners, the links to all of Amelia's books, including her favourite book, will be in the show notes. <laughs> the 10-day plan. Eat you don't have favourite children, should you? I've got a favourite book. I'm proud of all of my books, but I feel like the 10-day plan just really tackles a lot for people. 
Um, but we haven't mentioned my course. Can I quickly tell you about my course? Oh my goodness, of course, because I think we, yes, absolutely. Let's talk about the course because this is, this is the, the best way other than this podcast and reading the books to really get good access to you. Well, that was, sorry. I just, I'm sorry, Emma, I just had to let my dog. Yeah, so, um, so I'd wanted to do a kind of online course for ages because obviously I can't see, um, there's only so many number of clients that I can see uh, in a on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, for ages, I was trying to work out the best way to be able to reach more people in a more personal way. Because obviously I love my books and I'm proud of them, but I know some people just want a bit, a bit more. Um, and so uh, I managed to find this incredible uh, team to work with called Create Academy and they just they've just done such a brilliant job but it was a, it was about a year's work in progress in process of um, creating the content and really asking my followers on Instagram and Facebook and in my newsletter you know what what are the what are the biggest pitfalls that you have and just listening to people's struggles and just trying to really tackle them, but in a really easy and hopefully joyful way. So the course is called The Joy of Healthy Eating because I wanted to have that twist. It's not about weight loss. It's not about shame. It's not meant to be stressful, but it's just going back to what I said at the beginning, those fundamental things. So some people might say it's very simple. Yeah, that's the point. I wanted to make it simple because most people aren't doing what the course um, shares, certainly when I meet them. And so they might want to have the, the other things, the other aspects, but um, this is lots and lots of really short videos so people can watch them at leisure. They've got them for life so they can dip in and out of them. The idea is that you can watch them between tube stops. Um, so they're just, you know, you can, you, you, it's not something you have to watch all in one go. You don't have to be there for a specific time. Um, you can binge watch it like a series on Netflix if you want to, or you can just, you know, watch one module a day or one module a week. But um, so far, the feedback's been really lovely. And um, I think it's helped lots of people to kind of unpick a lot of those complicated webs that we've talked about so much today. Well, obviously, the link to that will be in the show notes. And I know I do have the link. So I am actually going to try that myself. Because, oh, good. <laughs> because it has been, it's been a really wonderful um, last 12 months of having having felt this release from like the pressure of being around food and now yeah. to be able to to enjoy something like that um is quite quite the pleasure it's quite nice to enjoy it um Good. obviously I'm the link so to it will be in the show notes as will the link to the books as will the link to your website and your social media platform it really is honestly always such a joy to speak to you and i really cannot wait to speak to you again in the flesh very very soon likewise so. i look forward to it <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you want to email me, please don't be shy. Email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or slide into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns. Or you can chat to me and the thousands of other listeners of this podcast in the Facebook group. There are so many of us there having a lot of different chats about a lot of different things. But the link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You're going to have to answer some questions and agree to the forum rules. But then we will welcome you in and you can join our club. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.